0: You, like if you have an explicit program within your school environment how do you introduce that to your your parents as well so that they can if they want to they can continue that at home the world has never been changing more rapidly dislocating the ways we work learn and live
1: on the learning future podcast We discuss the knowledge, skills, and dispositions we all need for our learning future, exploring insights with world class educators, researchers, policymakers, and leaders from across industries and across the world. Hello, and welcome to the Learning Future podcast. I'm your host, Luca Parry. Thank you for joining us. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Addie Wooten. She is the CEO of Smiling Mind, a clinical psychologist. Uh, that has been working for most of her career in clinical practice and research across a range of major hospitals in Melbourne, primarily focusing on supporting people with cancer through that time. Through that clinical career, she has seen firsthand the benefits that mindfulness can provide. And she's also been a practitioner using mindfulness in her work for many years. She's an experienced researcher and a fundraiser and she leads a really dynamic team at Smiling Mind, which we're gonna hear quite a lot more about. Addie, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Thank you for having me. I feel very honoured to be chatting with you today. <laughs>
1: well, I feel honoured to have you as a guest. I mean, this delving into the the realms of mindfulness and multi dimensional human growth and development, well being. Well, we're, we're going to cover all of it, and I'd love you to start with uh, something you've learned recently.
0: Oh gosh, <laughs> that's a good question. I've got a, a couple of things. Um, I've spent a lot of time in my garden over this pandemic, and I, I really love connecting with nature and the world. And I think that's what really grounds me. I spent a lot of time in my head in my work. So, getting out and actually doing something physical, this is a, a, a very random thing that I've learned. I've learned how to put down gravel and then compact it, and I've learned how to use the, ma- <clears throat> the machine that oh, compacts God. the gravel. I, I felt pretty proud of myself to <laughs> learn how to use that machine. <laughs> Bit of a random, I think random I know one. What are talking
1: about? Yeah, it's the <laughs> it's the one you press the button. It kind of it's a, like a like a compressor. Yeah, com, it, compactor. it a
0: vibrates it along. It's oh, very God. funny. And the only reason I bring that up is because, like, immediately when you asked that question, I started thinking about my work and the you know the the complex stuff that we're, we're dealing with. And mm. I thought, well, oh, actually, no. I think I have to remind myself that learning happens. All Everyone, the time. Yeah. It, yeah. It, exactly. And it's often the small things that we learn that we kind of brush off and we don't take much, you know, heat of. So mm. I'm teaching myself to pay attention more to those smaller things. Um,
1: I love that, yeah. Eddie. I love that concept that learning is a an embodied act, you know. it's We learn most powerfully by doing. I mean, it's, Absolutely. It, 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 like, it's not a controversial statement, I don't think, you know. And... Yeah, you know, like returning back to the the senses and the multi dimensions. Um, you know, ultimately yeah. being mindful. Perhaps one might say. Um, Absolutely.
0: Well, yeah. Isn't that? You know, of course, that's part of part of what we do. So it's always it's ever present for us. Yeah. Um, and then I think I mean on a bigger a bigger scale, I have learned, or maybe I've been re- it's been reinforced recently mm-hmm. that um, mental health. I spent a lot of time thinking about and. Yeah. I've learned, in fact I probably learn every day, that mental health is a really difficult thing to define and to um, give meaning around because everyone has their own different perspective and definition of what mental health is. So I constantly fall into this uh, a bit of a trap of trying to define what it is and then I get challenged again by someone else's perspective and um, Thinking process, so mm. I, that is definitely a space that I'm constantly learning. Even though I've, you know, it, it's what I spend most of my time thinking about. Yeah,
1: <laughs> which is this wonderful thing. I, I often think uh, the minute we think we've arrived, you know, although we've we've worked it out, it's probably not the case in our complex, evolving world, particularly. When it comes definitely. To, you know, the human condition as it as it might be described. Take us yep. in, take us into your world a bit more, Adi. That what. You know, tell, tell us first, what is Smiling Mind and what is the work that you do?
0: Yeah, so Smiling Mind uh, is an amazing organisation. We're almost 10 years old, so still pretty young in the scheme of organisations. Um, we're a not-for-profit, uh, so set up really with the vision to try and make a difference in the world, and the, the, the area that we focus on is mental health and wellbeing, and mm. um, through a whole range of different lenses, really. Um, right from the start, uh, our focus has been children and young people. How do we help help bring a different perspective um, to mental health through doing? So, get teaching people strategies and approaches that they can apply to their everyday life, and trying to do that in a really human, yeah, normal everyday way, we know, not being too complex, trying to break things down into simple activities that we can all hopefully bring into our lives. Um, And mindfulness has been a really core part of that. So introducing mindfulness to young people uh, in a really uh, accessible way, using technology to do that. So um, most people, if they've heard about Smiling Mind, will have heard of the Smiling Mind app. Um, We've got about almost 7 million people that have downloaded that app now, which is amazing yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah it's huge um you know lot more than two million of them have come in the last 18 months so we know that people over this pandemic have uh really been searching for tools that they can use um but overall um our, our work as an organization um is to try and make a difference to the way we all feel uh we know that mental health um the experience of mental health and the experience of mental illness and and psychological distress is is a big challenge for lots of us that and it isn't getting any better unfortunately we're seeing really high rates of distress Um, and so our philosophy is if we can get in early and we can help young people learn about their own uh, mental well-being how they work Mm. What, you know, help them figure out, well, you know, what what is their role in this world? How do they want to connect with people? What are their values? Um, if we can instill some of that thinking from a really young age, hopefully we can start to create a, a generational change in the way we experience mental health. Mm. Um, and I think we're starting to see that That as as young people are growing up, we're seeing more openness to talk about mental health and wellbeing and more curiosity around emotions and all of those really big things. Um, so, yeah, we do lots of work in schools. We, we run programs across the, the country um, and we have programs and resources, primarily digital programs and re- resources for families to use mm. um, and then for workplaces to use. So we're trying to, to cover... Um, a whole range of stages of life, I suppose, is our thinking. If we can um, support people with practical tools and strategies that they can use in lots of different areas of their life, then yeah. hopefully we'll start to see a big shift.
1: Well, uh, that's great, Addie. I've, I came across the work of Smiling Mind, gosh, six or seven years ago, I guess now, and I saw it as an hour and thought, oh, wow, this is a really, this is an interesting thing to do because as a teacher, you know, most initial teacher educate, at least I'll speak from the past tense. You know, the ones that I have, have experienced didn't talk very much about mindfulness. Didn't look at really kind of the mental health, mental wellness, mental ill health spectrum very strongly. And so, just share a little bit, as you know, from your work as a psychologist, but also as kind of the leading the great team there. Why is it that we see mental health getting worse? Like, what what actually is driving that? Because some of the some of the data, and you may want to share this. It's not great news, actually. It's like, well, how is... You know, we're meant to be growing, successful, you know, economic development, et cetera, et cetera. And yet, this is also growing.
0: It is, yeah. It isn't a good news story at all. It's, you know, we know one in seven primary school children, one in four secondary school children experience mental illness, and that's a diagnosed mental illness. Um, And so if you think about the... The range of mental health challenges and and distress that sits, you know, outside of that clinical diagnostic range, most of us will either have experienced or know someone very close to us that that is really struggling. Um, we know that suicide rates are at an all time high, um, and uh, we're not really yet to see the impact of the pandemic. I don't think I like mm. they're. It's encouraging that we haven't seen a, a really big spike um, in suicide, but I think what we are seeing is, is really complex uh, responses. So I, I think we will start to see more traumatic responses, really complex experiences for people, particularly kids, um, mm. who maybe haven't been able to make sense of the world as it changed so rapidly. Um, I think there's... There's no one answer to why it's a it's a really complex question and that mm. you know there I think there are lots of lots of influences. So on the one hand, we know that mental health challenges have you know they, they're part of the human condition we we have always experienced them and what we know um, is that people are more open and are seeking help more readily than they did in generations gone past and so that's one of the reasons why statistically there is a rise but I think above and beyond that um we're living in a much more complex world uh there's um there are so many things that come our way that we have to balance and 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 juggle and I think part of that has also led to a, a a bit of a disconnection from ourselves and um a feeling of Um, of knowing who we are and why we exist and and um, and our role in in this world and so that disconnection I think has a huge role to play in how we're feeling Um, and we know social isolation and loneliness is at an all-time high as well and that was before the pandemic so um, I think people are even though we're more connected than we've ever been in in our history, um, people are feeling more disconnected. And so for me, that means we have to, we really have to stop and check in and figure out, well, how do we reconnect with ourselves? And, um try and avoid those comparisons that, you know, make us feel like we should be happy all the time, that we should have the best house, the best car, the best family, like all of those um, social norms that are so yeah. visible through lots of channels, I think, um, you know, yeah, we need to take stock, I think, and and figure out how, how do we live our lives in a much more compassionate, um, you know, with with gratitude for what we have, we have this amazing abundance, many of us here in Australia in particular, um, how do we, how, how do we change the way we look at our, our world? Um, and I, you know, I I could go on and on and on. That's There's so a great, whole lot lady. of things. <laughs>
1: it's, it's um yeah, it's, uh, I think it's that internal orientation is such an interesting perspective. And uh, I, I mean, I, I've been meditating now since 2016 when I did a meditation course in Melbourne. Yeah, there, good work. From. I know, and I mean, and I was for a long time. I thought, oh, that's all a bit woo-woo and a bit, you know, that's a bit like go to a day spa kind of stuff. You know, I, kept, yep. I used to play Aussie footy. You know, one of the guys. But what I've realised is just how incredibly powerful it is to realise that we are not our emotions. You know, and this idea of the separation and being able to kind of quite literally focus the mind to, to kind of train the mind. Yeah,
0: um, well, we get so caught up. I mean, yeah. emotions are, are so strong, aren't they? And they're yeah. they're we can get pushed around um, and it's not until you do learn how to take stock and to check in and to observe rather than respond or react um, that you you would even grow that awareness. And I agree with you. I, I always felt like... I, Meditation was always a bit too—I don't know—bit a, bit, a little bit too spiritual for for my thinking. But you know, I think it's not until you try it that you, yeah, um, and you learn how it can work for you. I mean, the way people bring meditation and mindfulness into their life can be very different for different people. Mm. Um, so you have to find the right way for you.
1: Yeah, it's a great—I mean, certainly very very much becoming mainstream now because people are seeing the—I mean—the evidence behind it. I think. Is, Pretty com- overwhelmingly compelling, and you know when you have, I think it was ninety percent of Silicon Valley CEOs meditate because it increases their performance. Now the question is, should that be should it be used as a vehicle to do more? Well, probably not. But you know, again, we're seeing this kind of the this is very much being thrust into the mainstream, which is necessary as a, perhaps a way to counter the kind of increasing stress and allostatic load that most of us have just through yeah. living in a complex uncertain world where things might be this way today and they're definitely going to be a different way tomorrow. Different,
0: exactly. Or yeah. or to help us make choices about what we want out of life as well. Um, you know, there yeah, mindfulness can be used in that way to help us build up performance and productivity and that that's definitely one pathway. But it also um, can give us space to make changes in our lives as well. Um, and so, and even for kids to to be aware of that so you know when you're teaching uh these ideas to to children and and for them to say well i actually have decided that i don't want to be friends with that group of people anymore i'm going i i want to change that and that like that awareness of knowing what works for you and what doesn't work for you and what you need to change in your life to to support Mm. your own well-being or to support the people around you that you care about is pretty powerful
1: yeah fantastic take us Add it into some of the practices, like, you know, the things that you could do, you need know, to do so much work with schools. I think it was, oh, I couldn't remember the data, like one in three Australian teachers have downloaded. It's something really high. Up there. Um, it's huge.
0: It's actually more, almost half of all Australian teachers now have. Um, that is remarkable. Have yeah. signed up to our app um, yeah. and they use it in different ways. So um, it it is amazing. And I think back to your earlier point, at the, the change that I have seen, even you know, I've been with Smiling Mind for six years now. So, from when I joined in 2005 to now, I the the interest and the um, the hunger to learn from uh, schools and from teachers and principals has just it has changed so much in that time. There's so much. There's a, such a great awareness of the need to support children in that broader sense of learning and development um, Mm. and the connection between well-being and more traditional academic learning I think is so obvious now that if you can if you can support kids in that holistic way it actually results in a whole lot of benefits um yeah so the practices are, are broad um so Mindfulness is a practice of learning to pay attention uh, and you and the way we try and teach people to pay attention is to bring an attitude of openness, curiosity and non-judgment. So in a a nutshell, that's what mindfulness is from my perspective. Mm. Um, And so what we're trying to do when we teach mindfulness uh, through meditation practice with children is to give them opportunities to learn how to focus the mind so to to bring their full attention to one thing at one time which we don't often get a chance to do many of us spend a lot of time multitasking um so it's creating space in the school day to do that or the home time at home um and then we we introduce concepts around that as well so in the simplest form, um, if a school is bringing mindfulness into their, their school environment, it would be to find a regular time throughout the day for kids to stop and to, to, to do a meditation practice. Uh, and so lots of schools will use our app to guide a meditation. That might be three minutes. It might mm. be seven minutes. It, like they're not very long, um, but it gives kids a, an opportunity to pause and reset. And if, we're, if schools can do that at, at a regular, or like in, in a routine, um, that routine actually starts to build that capacity. So, you know, you, like anything, like learning how to run um, or learning maths or reading and writing, you can't just do it once and you master it. You have to practice it and, and mindfulness is exactly the same. So it's a skill that you need to, tr- to work on. It's like training your brain um, and so what we try and encourage schools to do is to, to have a routine around that so that kids know uh, when to expect it. Mm. Um, and so what we see from from teachers and schools is really um, they 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 start to see calmer classrooms and um, more settled students is sort of the, the first phase. And that's usually coming from a regular mindfulness practice. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then we've built a whole mindfulness curriculum um, for schools if they want to take it to another level. And that um, is built off social and emotional learning frameworks uh, and underpinned by mindfulness. And so we, we take um, students through a process over the, over the course of the year. And so it starts with awareness and getting to know your body and your emotions like actually giving students the opportunity to check in and you know feel when you feel sad, where do you feel it mm. in your body? What does it feel like? And how do you start to put a language around that? How do you get kids talking about it? Because when we start to put language around emotions, it actually changes the way we understand emotions and it gives power to know that you can actually do something about it. Um, and then we move into um, thinking about how our mind and our body connect. So, you know, what's the connection between our thoughts and thinking and how we feel? How do we start to look at um, our, our uh, mindsets and different approaches? So um, we've, we've integrated some positive psychology thinking mm-hmm. in there around growth mindset, like right. how do we teach kids about, you know, fixed versus growth mindset um, and then we move into, you know, broader things around um, social connection. So how, how do we think, uh, introduce ideas around empathy and compassion to kids, perspective taking and, you know, putting yourself in somebody else's shoes mm. and, and bringing that sense of curiosity to other people's experiences so you can build that sense of, uh, of, of learning from other people. Um, and ultimately I suppose that all sort of ladders up to for want of a better word that idea of resilience so how do you you build all of these different skills and and teach different things to kids that help them navigate challenges and and be aware that you know life will throw things up and we will all have to navigate really challenging things Um, but knowing that you have a a, a strong base in yourself and your your community or the yeah. people around you um that you can navigate things so yeah that's a that's a mixture of like explicit learning and teaching uh, with we we um leverage the teachers so we we really try and support teachers with as much stuff as we can so that they feel comfortable teaching these topics and then getting the kids to do things like you said earlier like it's through the doing that that mm kids start to learn, what you know, how do you apply this to your
1: life? Your own life. Eddie, it's, it's a fantastic answer. I, I'm, I'm curious about, because, you know, the, there's such a range of practices and programs, um, and, you know, we all need to start somewhere. And I wonder if we were to think into the future, perhaps, which I attempt to do sometimes,
0: because
1: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's impossible to predict, but, you know, what, what might be possible? I... I wonder how, would you, how might schools that really embed mindfulness at their core alongside the social and emotional capabilities and cognitive capabilities? Yeah, like all three of them, so it's not about excising one of them. It's about elevating the others for a kind of yep. a future-focused, new economy, well, like well-being kind of experience. Um, what, what might that school kind of look like, do you think? What could it feel like into the future in 2030, let's
0: say? Yeah, well, yeah, we've done a lot of thinking about what what will the world be like in 2030? Uh, and I'm um, definitely an optimist. Um, I think what I would love to see are school environments where they it's truly thriving. So I think one component of that is Supporting our teachers and making sure that their well being is at the forefront as well, because they play such a such an important role in modelling um, and nurturing our future generations. So we need to look after the teachers, and we need to look after the the school leaders and the whole school community. Um, but it's a, a for me, it's a community of of learning where we kn- we can actually tailor and work with individual learning needs. So I think that I, I, and we're already seeing that a move away from the one size fits all kind of yeah. learning approach to getting to know that where we are different in the way we learn and and tapping into that and learning how we can we can create learning journeys and pathways for for students that really play to w- what is needed for those students. Um, and for me, that is holistic. So that is you know, uh, we're whole people. we can't break it apart and say, well, you just have to learn reading, writing, and arithmetic, and you know, off you go. Um, we have to think about how we're developing humans um, in the school environment. and different, different areas of strength will will come out of that, and that's good as well. but you know there are there are different ways that we can support. Um, for you know in inverted commas um, so I think for me it's a yeah it's a it's about creating school environments where there there are really positive things happening we're nurturing yeah. well-being at all levels of that school environment we're engaging parents and making sure that parents are connected to learning because when kids go home you know that learning continues doesn't it and and I think more and more parents are really, you know, really embracing their role and and wanting to 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 really support their kids in their development as well.
1: Eddie, I think that's let's talk on this parent piece specifically, because a lot of people listening to this podcast, even if they're educators, are also parents. Of course. You know, there is this um <laughs> I'm not yet, by the way, just for the record. But the I think there's this um schools were never designed with Parental inclusion at the core. And so the pandemic has definitely shifted that in a significant way. Great schools were always really good at engaging parents, but in some ways they were doing so with difficulty against the structures of the school, because the school model has been set for a different paradigm for a kind of somewhat yeah. of an economic purpose. So what what how might we like better think around the kind of ecosystem, the multi-stakeholders here? You know, like what are you seeing in terms of the, you know, do you have Students go back and teach the parents around mindfulness. I mean, because you know, how do we think about this as a whole school community, as the way to actually think about human growth and development? Yeah,
0: yeah, and I think uh, the pandemic. I mean, maybe this is going to be one amazing thing out of the pandemic. Um, I have not homeschooled during the pandemic, right. but um, I don't have kids. Um, but. Th- Like the, I know there were so many challenges for families, particularly in states where we had long lockdowns. I'm based in Melbourne, so we we've had many, many months of homeschooling. So it's been Mm. really, really hard. But one of the things I think that um, might come out of this experience is the connection with. You know the role that parents really want to play in their their children's learning and development, and I I've, we've we've definitely seen this huge um, demand from parents looking for like help um, to like practical things. Or how how can I help my my kids process what's going on? How can yeah. I help them understand? And, and deal with what emotions they're going through and and talk about it and and you know give give me a framework or you know a, something that can help me me deal with this without with our family um mm. so i think that that's that's really powerful um so maybe out of this pandemic there will be more parent parent involvement um and i think so and i think the the opposite uh, is definitely true we already see kids going home and introducing mm. Mindfulness to to their family. Uh, it's really interesting. We run a um, a workplace program as well, and right. often when we run programs in businesses, we, we like half of the room will say, "Oh, yeah, we we do this already at home because my kids brought it home from school." <laughs> Fantastic! It's amazing. So, yeah, I think we will see that change. I think schools have a, a an opportunity to think about how you explicitly engage parents without it feeling like you no. Know, onerous homework, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but how do you, I, I yeah, I think a lot of parents um, are looking for guidance and learning opportunities themselves. You know, we you know, there's no, we don't do parenting classes and we, you know, we don't learn how to help develop our kids' social and emotional skills over time. You know, that's not something that you kind of Society, learn as yeah, you go, right? True, so yeah. um, how do you... How do you help? Give like if you have an explicit program within your school environment, how do you introduce that to your your parents as well, so that they can, if they want to, they can continue that at home.
1: Mm, fantastic, Addie. Take us just because we're on this piece. Where what resources do you actually provide? You know, because the app <laughs> the app is a free app, as far as I tell it's a download. It, it maybe, is, and then. So yeah, take us. People listening to this might be like, "Great, I'm going to give it a try with my, my students my parents." Or yeah, I know this. I'm going to come back to it. How do they get? How do they find out? Well, oh,
0: that is a good, very good question. So yes, the the Smiling Mind app is free. Um, you will not get upsold or anything. You don't have. It's not a limited time thing. It is free because we believe it should be accessible to as many people as possible. Right. And that's the beauty, I suppose, of being a not for profit. We can kind of we do it for for that reason yeah. um then uh if you're a in a school environment or you're a parent wanting to talk to your school um there's lots of other ways that schools engage with our program so we run professional learning programs for teachers um and that really is around um yeah. How how do you how do you do this? How do you bring mindfulness into your school? How does it map to social and emotional learning frameworks that you might already have in the school environment? Um, and then we have a whole school mm. program, so that's where the um, our mindfulness curriculum comes right. in. Um, there's lots of teaching and learning resources, and actually we're just working our team is doing amazing work at the moment to build a full digital curriculum. So. Um, from term one next year, schools will be able to log into our new big learning hub um, and get access to a whole lot of other resources. Um, so the best way to find out more about that is to come onto the Smiley Mind website, which is smileymind.com.au. Um, and the same for parents. There's heaps of free resources on the Smiley Mind website for parents. Um, we responded really quickly to the pandemic. And so there's lots of, we've called them, um, care packs or kids kids learning packs, and so they were they were developed quickly to to try and get really practical uh, tools in the hands of as many families as possible. And so they're really they link to the meditations in the app, but they're really practical things. So you know, can you sit down with your children and draw an emotion um, diagram of you know where do they feel emotions in their body? Mm. How do we give tools to kids and parents that can actually? You, facilitate a conversation and get get some conversations and talking about how you're feeling going and then some really practical things like going on a you know on a a curious walk so how do you go out into the backyard and actually foster that sense of awareness and curiosity and collect things that you might not normally see you might walk past without noticing Um, and so they're, they're strategies that are designed to help build awareness and slow and you know pause and slow, slow down our stress response so that we're, we're learning how to regulate.
1: Uh, and that's, I think that's a wonderful connection to make to something you said earlier, Addie, about resilience. And everyone knows the word resilience because people say it all the time. Yeah. But the question is, well, how do we become resilient? Like where's yeah. the program for resilience? Where's the resilience button that I can press and now I'm... Yeah. Re- it really does in, in my view and it sounds like the work you do there, which is evidence-based... You know, it's understanding the constructs that contribute to self-regulation that actually then can manifest as resilience. And yeah. I'm, also, I'm also taken by some conversations I've had with Frank Oberclade, who is a wonderful contributor to Smiling Mind as well. And the he idea is. of, a mental, kind of a, mental wellness, a mental health spectrum. And so the idea that, yeah, we can be healthy, we can be coping, we can be struggling, or we can be unwell. And in fact, all of us will be those things at some point in our lives because of life. And so it's kinda how do we how do we find our way back through the support networks that we have, through the practices that we have, through the systems that we use. Yeah. And how we design Exactly. You know, schools, workplaces, communities where that can that can all direct us back to that place, I think. Um,
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, resilience is a funny one, isn't it? Like, you know, and we hear politicians talking about well, we just need to be more resilient. Yeah. Which is you know, it's it's great, until you stop and you think, well, what is resilience and how do we become more resilient? And often people talk about becoming more resilient when they've gone through something really hard. Um, So the pandemic will be one of those things for sure. But, you know, prior to that, it will have been, um, you know, going through the bushfires, I think, has built, uh, it's had a traumatic impact and it has probably also resulted in a, a different level of resilience for, for some communities. And there's lots of other things. You know, we will all go through things that are challenging for us. But it, there's a difference between the, tra- the the traumatic pathway and feeling traumatised by something and mm-hmm. the resilience pathway. And I think the difference for me is the resources and the ca- the capability the capacity for us to make sense of what's going on and to not feel overwhelmed by what's going on and to do that we need skills to yeah. to manage it because first you know that that isn't taught to us explicitly and for some you know for some of us it come it, we we learn it on the go and we're and we're able to navigate through things um, but you know that doesn't come naturally to most of us. So how do we actually explicitly teach the skills that we need to be re- to build that resilience? So yeah. that and that will hopefully start to help us reduce that the traumatic impact.
1: That's wonderful, Addie. I, I, I want to add one more thing to this and just get your quick response. Uh, sometimes when you talk about mindfulness, people see it as non-rigorous. Right, well, they see it yeah you know our skills what, what just are relaxing for? skills yeah. What, <laughs> yeah having a sleep wow. What? what's that for so <laughs> and and yet you know from what we know from the field of social and emotional learning for example is when you when you teach some of these skills explicitly as you say they have an enormous impact on ability to cope but also ability to perform academically and so I think and I just wanted to put this on record again as I often do I mean this is uh, this is a very rig- this is rigor this is evidence-based this is not yep. let's all just sing in a, sit in a circle and have us sing along, which by the way also has a positive influence on, it can, on climate culture. Hello everybody, mood repair and a whole bunch of other things. But um, no, this is actually very rigorous work. And when we talk about skills for the new economy in particular, you know, and, and being able to step into a workforce where you have to constantly adapt and be agile, these are the skills we're talking about. And I think that's just such an important thing for us to understand. It's a false dichotomy sometimes we get stuck in, I think. You know, is it well-being or is it, you know, learning? Well, actually, they are exactly the same thing if we think of them in the right way, in my view.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And so, yeah, couldn't agree more. Mindfulness isn't passive. It's not about lying down and relaxing and daydreaming. It's about consciously focusing and strengthening certain parts of our brain that then have an impact on the rest of our body and how we interact with the world um and there's huge amount of science now that that has really strengthened the, the importance of of why these skills are, are foundational really for our our ability to navigate the world like coping with uncertainty is you know one part of that and that that you know what you just described then around the future of you know, being agile and having to adapt to things quickly requires really deep emotional intelligence and the or and ca- capacity to tolerate all of those competing things so mm. we have to teach these skills or we will continue to see the mental health challenges that we're seeing escalate and our ability to feel good in that new working environment will be so challenging because it's yeah. not, yeah, it's not the way we're, we're built as humans. We have to train ourselves.
1: Yeah. Adi, it's been such a, such a privilege to, to connect with you again and hear some of the work that Smiling Mind is doing and, the, and that you're doing as well. Just share, some, share your take-home message for our listeners today. What's something you want to leave us with?
0: Hmm. Well, it's a great question. I think for me, it's about thinking about this stuff, even though it's hard, early. So I, I think we have a tendency to only respond to things when there's a problem, um, and particularly when it comes to our mental health and wellbeing. So for me, my takeover message would be, think about how you can bring this into your life on a day-to-day basis and don't wait until you're struggling to do it because the more we can think proactively about these types of things, the, the better the outcomes will be for, for individuals but also for our society as a whole. I think we need to really switch it around and, you know, prioritise this stuff as much as we do our exercise, our, you know, academic learning, our work life. It's such an important thing to think about as part of our everyday routine.
1: Uh, Dr. Addie Wooten, thank you so much for joining us for the Learning Future podcast today. Thanks, Luca. Great to be here. Thanks for listening to the Learning Future podcast. To find out more about our work, drop into thelearningfuture.com and follow us at Learning Future on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram. Here's to building a world of thriving learners together.